You're listening to Radio Maria, Christian Voice in your home. We're not presenting the show. Jesus, the prominent Messiah of Judaism, but we're showmen. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and welcome again to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the realization, the fulfillment of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Now, before I get on to today's show proper, I want to, of course, wish somebody, excuse me, wish everybody a very, very blessed and fruitful Advent, what remains of the Advent season leading up to Christmas. And on the one hand, I had a topic for today's show, a witness testimony, which I'll mention in a moment. But I also did not want to let Advent go by without dedicating part of the show to Advent. So today's show will be split into two parts. And the first half will be a very beautiful witness testimony of a uh, earnest Protestant woman who uh, actually influenced in part by hearing my witness testimony has just recently, I believe it was Easter of last year, entered the Catholic Church. And um, about a week or two ago, I had a telephone call with her and recorded her witness testimony, which we're going to listen to in just a moment. Her name is Carolyn. And uh, I kind of apologize a little bit to Carolyn if she's listening. I had to edit out a little bit of the witness testimony, both for reasons of length and also because of uh, some technical glitches that occurred during the recording. But I think that the result is um, very beautiful and very coherent and very, very powerful. So without any further ado, if I can master the uh, technical challenge here, let me just turn this over to the recording of my recent telephone call slash witness testimony of newly Catholic from Protestant Carolyn. So with that, let's turn to the witness testimony. All I can say is that your world and my world collided in November of last year in 2018. Um, And I'll tell about that a little bit later, but I thought I would just start with who I am. Um, I'm uh, a Protestant girl here in Texarkana, Texas. Uh, I was actually brought up Baptist. Uh, my dad and mom were faithful uh, every Sunday, twice a day, and and every Wednesday night, Baptist. My dad was the music minister. Um, some of my earliest uh, memories are uh, being in a choir loft with my parents, probably at the age of two or three years old. So I was brought up in the church, um, and I'm very thankful for uh that time that that my parents gave me of learning uh, the Word of God. And they were fine uh, Christian people, but they certainly didn't know anything about Catholicism. In fact, uh, whenever I uh, asked about uh, the Catholic faith one time, I remember my dad just saying, well, they worship idols, so we just don't, you know, we don't believe in that. Uh, But I was baptized at the age of seven years old. Um, I actually uh, remember there being a hellfire and brimstone uh, pastor that came to do a revival at our little country church. And um, I accepted Christ 
during that time and, and was baptized. Um, I really had a, a great feeling of, of God being there uh, all through my uh, young life. Um, in fact, at the age of about 15, I went to a retreat in northwestern Arkansas and it's called Silom Springs. And I remember uh, having such an experience with the Holy Spirit that I came back and started witnessing to some of my friends' parents uh, who made a decision for Christ. And I was steadily handing out tracts, Baptist tracts, uh, at that point. Uh, in my life. But then kind of like you, I went off to college and after high school kind of uh, never really left Christ and never really left my love for him. But I certainly didn't always do uh, what he had commanded us to do. Um, So some falling away there. I did marry at an early age, at the age of 19. We did have a set of twins after we'd been married uh, four years, Um, and they uh, were a real joy in our lives. Um, I had another daughter about six years after that, and my, my life was so off track at that point, and my husband's life also was off track at that point. We were really searching for uh, the answer uh, to get back. Uh, in the right relationship with with Jesus and with God. So we had a friend, I had a friend who did my hair, and I'd kind of told her a few things about my life at that point. And she said, you need to go to my church, and felt like she knew this would fix all of my problems. Uh, So I actually went to that non-denominational church. I remember during that time, even though I was happier than I had than I had been. I felt a freedom uh, with Christ to to worship however I wanted to. Uh, But I still felt as though I was missing something. And I certainly can remember uh, being the wife of an alcoholic, crying out for God, where are you? I miss you. I long for the joy that I once had. Uh, I, I had amazing joy as a teenager. And I felt as though something was missing in my life. Um, So today, looking back on that particular event in my life, I I realized that even though I was in what I thought was the ultimate church at that time, I still felt as though something was missing. Um, But we stayed at that non-denominational church for 14 years and raised our children there. And I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I raised my children to love Christ and to, to be aware of, of him and, and what he does in our lives on a daily basis. Also during that time, um, I worked for a small uh, mom and pop shop here in Texarkana that, that uh, sold office products. And my first day there, I noticed that there were all kinds of uh, chips and crackers and uh, flour, just different things that they had in their shop. But some of it was open, and I thought, well, I don't know if they're giving it to someone who's homeless or if they are, in fact, 
doing something else with it. And I finally got up the courage to ask and asked her about what this was about, which was Passover, she explained to me. And I thought, well, you know, I've heard of Passover, but that's not something we do have anything to do with today. Well, she began to tell me uh, about the early Christians and about the early church and about our Jewish heritage and um, about the Passover and not just the Passover, but all of the feast of the Jewish people. Uh, it just absolutely, absolutely amazed me. And uh, I had actually a visual confirmation from God while this was happening. I had never had an, seen any kind of a, a visual thing before where God was concerned. But on this particular day, I did. And her arms uh, were just glowing uh, like an iridescent green, like a lime green color. And I looked away and I looked back and I thought, this is real. This is, this is really happening, Carolyn. And, and you need to pay attention to what she's saying because I, I want you to remember this. I want you to hang on to this. That was really one of the highlights, I think, of me realizing the uh, beginning of the church was way deeper than just being a Baptist that I had grown up not really knowing very much at all. Had cancer a year after the birth of my youngest daughter. Uh, I've had a, a, a massive hemorrhage. And what that did, uh, obviously, is, is my life was in jeopardy. But also it allowed me to feel what it's like when you have absolutely no blood to speak of in your body and you you know you're alive but you don't feel alive and you have zero energy but I remember just uh, the doctor coming in a few hours later and stating he was going to give me blood well when he did it was like somebody just turned the electricity on in my body uh, I came to life again uh it was just an amazing uh, renewal of what that blood did in my body. And it was as though nothing had happened. Uh, it was just an unreal experience for me. So shortly after that, I um, was in church and we had what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And I remember holding the juice in my mouth for minutes and just meditating on God and savoring every, uh, a bit, every bit of flavor that was in it and just thanking him for his blood, thanking him for the fact that he willingly died for us and gave up uh, his blood. And it, it just was an amazing uh, point in my life because God was ministering to me in such a great way. And I've never been able to take the Lord's Supper, um, even though it was not in the same sense of the manner that we do in the Catholic Church with the true body and blood. I still had the sense inside of me that there's more to this. This really means something to me uh, in a way that it had never meant before. Um, we still found ourselves searching 
Uh, but in 2015, he and I both had uh, the flu. And we were down for like two to three weeks, each one of us. And there wasn't much else to do but lay in bed and read. And I can't remember why someone had uh, called my attention to a book by Immaculate Illibagazia from Rwanda. But I read her book called Left Behind. Amazing, an amazing book of um, her losing her family in the Rwandan war and her uh, staying in the a very small bathroom with other women for three months without being let out with very little food. She went down from 115 pounds to 65 pounds, I believe, when they let her out. Um, it, it was just a gut-wrenching book, but she told about having the um, red and white uh, rosary that her dad had given her. And that rosary and praying that rosary um, led her to such peace. Um, But that was foreign to me. I had never heard of, uh, I I think I knew the word rosary and I kind of knew something about it, but I did not really know much. And to see in the course of reading this book and also reading her book, The Rosary, um, I went out and bought the rosary and told my uh, brother-in-law that I was just holding it, that it just made me feel good to hold it, even though I didn't know how to use it. And, uh, and I said, it just makes me think of Jesus. And, um, and of course, him being a Baptist minister, uh, I assured him I wasn't going to be Catholic. I was on a high. I mean, after having the flu, I, I came out on a spiritual high after reading all of her books. Because once I read one, I had to read them all. Uh, it was just captivating. So anyway, uh, Roy, I came out of this whole flu experience on a spiritual high. Uh, because once I got my hands on Immaculate's first book, I could not put put them down. I had to read them all. Uh, and, and I didn't really understand the book, The Rosary, at that point. But I was curious. And so I had bought the rosary and I I was holding it in my hands. And really, uh, from then up until uh, November of 2018, I would say that God had not really put a little nugget into my life that I can remember until I watched your video um, one morning, November of 2018. And I was just searching uh, YouTube videos like I always do in the morning when I'm getting ready. I want to listen to something that either has to do with sewing, quilting, or a spiritual. And up pops this Harvard professor sees Apparition of Virgin Mary. And I had for a couple of months before that been watching stories about Jews that had become Christians, which is why I think your video probably popped up on my feed. And I started listening. Um, I didn't really know much about the Virgin Mary part, but I could see that you were Jewish. And the first thing, one of the first things that you said that struck me so greatly was the fact that you said that uh, we Catholics don't know what we have that no one else has. And I thought, what? 
what could they possibly have that that I don't have? And then the next thing you said said was since her dying in the desert. And I knew that my husband and I for uh, quite some time, and I don't know exactly how long, had just felt as though uh, we weren't really going further into our Christianity. We had kind of plateaued where we were, and we felt we had learned as much as we could learn. And, um, you know, the Protestant church, and, and this is not... I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but it's focused on a totally different format than being Catholic. And it, it, it leaves you feeling as though you've been to some kind of a show instead of necessarily worship as in the Catholic church. It's more entertaining than being in, in the Catholic, uh, in a Catholic service. But, um, I've watched your video and I heard your story of seeing the Virgin Mary, which I knew nothing about, and you talking about just being in her presence and how amazing it was and and um, how when you woke up the next morning, you just knew that Christ was... Um, the son of the living God, and you'd been asking for a year for him to tell you after you see, after you having this vision of more or less the veil between heaven and earth um, disappearing and, and you being able to see into the spiritual world. Um, that was amazing to me. Well, that set me on watching every one of your videos that I could get my hands on for uh the next two or three days, uh, that's what I did nonstop. And I knew my husband had been born Catholic. Um, his parents professed to be Catholic, although they did not really bring their children up in the Catholic church. Um, they did go to Catholic school. And his grandmother, uh, in fact, went to Mass every week and would take him so he did have some knowledge and certainly knew some of the prayers that I was totally in shock that, that he did know. Uh, but the, what happened was I eventually asked him to, let's, would you take me to Mass? I, I want to go to Mass. And by this time, I had realized that what the Eucharist was. Uh, in fact, you mentioned it in that video that it's the body and blood of Jesus. Um, and, and at that moment, I, I knew I wanted it. I knew that I, if, if, it's, if it's really true, if, I mean, if the Catholic Church uh, believes in tr transubstantiation and God has given them the ability to be able to do that, I knew I needed it. Uh, and especially from my cancer Story that I've told you, I understood the importance of it. Um, so my, I went down and, and told my husband downstairs to tell him that I wanted to go to Mass, and he looked at me like I had lost my mind, and I told him that I'd been watching your videos for two days. Um, and he said, okay, if you want to go to Mass, I'll take you. And so we went that first Sunday to Sacred Heart here in Texarkana. 
And uh, it was an amazing moment in my life. I walked in, and um, the uh, gentleman that I'm trying to think of, the Knights of Columbus were there. And they were dressed in their full regalia that day, had their headdress on, and had lined the owls. And I want to say it was just for me because God was really putting on, um, you know, the, I felt like the best. And, and uh, my husband and I sat probably about two-thirds of the way back. But then when the, uh, the altar boys and the priest came in and there was the carrying of the cross and the carrying of the candles and seeing the priest come in and the Bible held high, I was in awe. I mean, I was just, I could not believe the reverence. It just touched my heart so deeply. And I'd already been touched because of the fact when I walked in, it wasn't an empty cross, but there was a crucifix. And uh, Mary, a statue of Mary and a statue of Jesus on either side. And that in itself was drawing me in, drawing me to what Christ, the the debt that he had paid for us all. Um, So what just really captivated me was the audience participation in the service. It wasn't just all singing, but it was words that were said uh, together, uh, one of those being the confession to Almighty God that, that they'd sinned and um, asking for prayer. Um, the other was the Nicene Creed, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God and so on, as we as Catholics know. And I was just absolutely taking it all in. But the most important moment was, I didn't really see at that time, but one person that I knew. It turns out I actually knew two people there beforehand. And uh, the one person that I knew was, a health practitioner that I'd been going to for about five years named Teresa Fontenot. And they started going up the aisle to take the Eucharist. After I'd watched the priest pray over the, the host and the wine, and, and now everybody was coming down to receive it, I knew I could not go. But I saw Teresa going. And Teresa's this tall very attractive lady uh, who got on her knees and took the Eucharist on her tongue and I was just moved to tears. I, and I knew right then what was different about her because she had a spirit about her but that's just not like anybody else I had met previous to that. She just, uh, you know, exuded uh, caring, for one thing, when I saw that, I knew I had to have the Eucharist, too. And I knew what was different about her at that point, in that it was God. It was Jesus that she was getting every week and um, taking him into her body. So there really was no turning back at that point, Roy. It was uh, from then on, there was no looking back. 
of course, I hated to tell our friends from our previous church who we still love dearly um, that we were going to be leaving. And it took us really about two months, three months, actually, to do that. But in that, we didn't go back, though. After that, we remained at the Catholic Church, and we, we did not go back. Uh, we immediately started RCIA, um, became very close friends with the people that uh, have led the RCIA here in Texarkana, just had an unbelievable learning time for the next, well, till April of that year. Uh, I just began to read everything I could get my hands on. So when we were at RCIA, we were reading or we were watching videos. And of course, uh, Scott Hahn's The Fourth Cut wasn't too far down the line there. And then I, I just was really over the moon about the Eucharist at that point, because any questions that I had uh, about it and how it all came about were answered, uh, obviously, by that video. But as well, during that time was Mary. And what was I going to do with Mary? Because I really knew virtually nothing except she was the mother of, of Christ. And the only time she was really ever talked about, if then, was at Christmas. Um, I knew she was extremely important to you. And so I started um, researching in the book of Genesis. I found out in Genesis 3.14 that she has the power to defeat Satan. And I don't know who I thought this woman was before when I read Genesis, but seeing that she is going to bruise the head of Satan, um, or, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Um, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Certainly led me to realize that she's not finished. She's still got a job yet to do. That, and uh, she's the woman clothed with the sun in Revelations 12. And that actually was a... a something that I had not understood that chapter. I'd read that chapter a year before and had tried to understand. Uh, and then it just all fell into place. I understood that chapter after I began to study Mary, as did almost all scripture. Because after I began to, or I made the decision to become a Catholic and I began studying Catholicism and the, making the decision I began to see the New Testament made more sense than it had ever made to me because I couldn't understand how once saved, always saved was possible uh, without works of some kind. I, I, I would love for it to be true, but because I know that a lot of people have made a profession of faith and they go off and they live their life uh, their way without any regard to Christ um, and it, think that they're going to be okay. It, it's just, it's just not the case. Um, I, I realize now that we are to constantly be struggling to become holy as Christ is holy. 
and to become as Christ-like as possible. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, And for the first time ever, I feel as though I am doing that. I don't feel like I'm missing anything anymore. And uh, to get to take that Eucharist for the first time was just amazing. And uh, it's amazing every single time uh, that, that we get to take it. Well, that ends the um, recorded witness testimony of Carolyn. And, of course, I'm very honored by the fact that she references my videos as having had an influence. Um, I'm absolutely delighted at the centrality of the Eucharist in her experience of the Catholic Church and in her draw to the Catholic Church. Um, It's just, to me, it's a a profoundly moving uh, witness testimony. And I know that many of our listeners... Uh, may be, in fact, non-Catholic Christians, and I hope it provides some um, material for for pondering. And of course, I do also hope and pray that it doesn't offend anybody in a wrong way. But we've come to about the halfway point in our program, so at this point, I think we should go to the short musical break we usually take. And if there are any people, listeners out there who would like to call in, it's always a good time to call in. It's a live call-in show, of course. The number is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And uh, after the break, I'll look at the call board, and if there are any calls, I'll take the calls. And um, after the calls, or if there are no calls, I'll go on to do some... Advent reading, again from Anne Catherine Emmerich. Uh, I got very positive feedback from the reading I did from Anne Catherine Emmerich last week, so that was my plan for the rest of the show. So with that, let's go to our short musical break, and you're listening to Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with Roy Showman, your host, and I'll be back in a few moments. Hi, welcome back to the show. And I'm always delighted to get calls, and I hear that we have a caller. Are you there, Mike? I am. Good afternoon, Roy. How are you today? Uh, Good afternoon. I think I recognize that voice. Thanks for calling. There you go. Uh, No, um, I was pretty excited to hear that you're going to be in California in February doing a uh, spiritual warfare conference, so I'm signed up for that. Oh, great. I hope to be able to talk to you for a bit there. Uh, reconnect for maybe a minute or two. Sure. And uh wanted to tell you that I, I, I too, was one of those who enjoyed the uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich show. Thank you for the show, and uh, I enjoyed the, the show today as well as uh, the one on uh, Anne Catherine Emmerich. So I uh, look forward to seeing you when you come to California. I look forward to seeing you, too. Thanks a lot. Um, and let me just say right. for the benefit of the audience, um, I do have a lot of talks coming up in the next two months or so, three months, Uh, The easiest way to find out about them is either my Facebook page, Roy Showman, or my website, salvationisfromthejews.com. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. on December 21st, and then um, in January I'll be several places in Florida, Vero Beach, and Ocala, I think, and Fort Myers in February, 
and also in February, San Jose, the Spiritual Warfare Conference that, that Mike just mentioned, and uh, a bunch of other places too. So if, if you are interested in coming to see me, hear me talk, uh, just go to my website um, or uh, my Facebook page and you can see the upcoming engagements. So uh, with that, let me go to a little speed reading of Anne Catherine Emmerich's description of the um, journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem of Joseph and Mary, and actually going up to the, the uh, birth of Jesus on the first Christmas night. Um, and I'm going to have to skip around a little bit because I want to get to the birth, and I think that um, that will require a little, a little cutting and pasting on the fly as I read, so I ask your indulgence. Um, so, uh, beginning with the reading from Anne Catherine Emmerich. Uh, I saw the Blessed Virgin for many days with Anne, while Joseph remained alone in Nazareth, one of Anne's maids taking charge of the house for him. I saw Mary sitting in a room with other women and preparing covers, large and small, some of which were embroidered with gold and silver. Everyone expected Mary to be delivered in Anne's house, and these covers and other things were being prepared partly for the birth of the child and partly as gifts for the poor. Everything was of the best and all abundantly and richly provided. They knew not that Mary would, of necessity, have to journey to Bethlehem. So then I'm going to skip to, um, to the beginning of their trip to Bethlehem. Um, I saw Joseph and Mary with Anne, Mary, Cleophas, and some servants silently setting out upon their journey to Bethlehem. They started from Anne's house. An ass bore a comfortable cross-seat for Mary and her baggage. On the field of Chimkey, where the angel had appeared to Joseph, Anne had a pasture ground. And here the servants went to get the little she-ass of one year old, which Joseph had to take with him. She ran after the Holy Family. Anne, Mary Cleophas, and the servants now parted from Joseph and Mary after a touching leave-taking. I saw the two travelers going some distance further and putting up at a house that lay on very high ground. They were well received. Now I am going to, um, okay, uh, sorry, uh, skip a little bit. I again saw the Holy Family in a very cold valley through which they were making their way towards a mountain. The ground was covered with frost and snow. Mary was suffering exceedingly from the cold. She halted near Pine Tree and exclaimed, We must rest. I can go no farther. Joseph arranged a seat for her under the tree, in which he placed a light. I often saw that done at night by travelers in those parts. The Blessed Virgin prayed fervently, imploring God not to allow them to freeze, and at once so great a warmth passed into her that she stretched out her hands to St. Joseph that he might warm himself by them. She took some food to renew her strength. Um, skipping a little bit. Um, Joseph spoke to Mary of the good lodgings that he expected to find in Bethlehem. He told her that he knew the good people of an inn at which they could get a comfortable room. He praised Bethlehem in order to console and encourage her. Um, I made bold to speak confidently to Mary. Now this is Anne Catherine Emmerich um, inserting herself in the vision which she used to do and actually speak to Jesus 
or to, in this case, the Blessed Virgin Mary, within the vision. I made bold to speak confidently to Mary. She told me how extremely well it was with her in her present condition. She felt no weight, but sometimes she experienced the sensation of being so immensely large internally and as if she were hovering in her own person. She felt that she encompassed God and man and that he whom she encompassed carried her. Um, the first thing that Joseph always did on arriving at an inn was to prepare a comfortable seat or couch for Mary. Then he washed his feet, as did Mary also. Their ablutions were frequent. Now, obviously, this trip took a number of days, and Anne Catherine Emmerich recounts um, the receptions that the Holy Family got, or Joseph and Mary got, at each of the inns. Um, occasionally, they were favorable receptions. Very often, they were hostile receptions. Um, and then... Uh, uh, and then I will kind of skip to when they're at the end of this journey of night after night at uh, different inns or, or sleeping outside when they were not received in an inn. When the people spoke of the difficulty of getting lodgings in Bethlehem, Joseph replied that he had friends there and that Mary and he would certainly be well received. This made me feel so sorry. Joseph always spoke of this with so much confidence. I heard him again making the same remark to Mary on their way. Then their arrival in Bethlehem. The distance from the last public house to Bethlehem may have been three hours. Um, Joseph still had in the city a brother who was an innkeeper. He was not his own brother, but a stepbrother. Joseph did not go near him. Uh, Joseph was five and forty years old. He was thirty years and I think three months older than Mary. He was thin, had a fair complexion, prominent cheekbones tinged with red, a high open forehead, and a brownish beard. Joseph went straight into the custom house, for all newcomers had to present themselves there and obtain a ticket for entrance at the city gate. Although Joseph was somewhat late in presenting himself for assessment, he was well received. Remember that the reason why Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem on the surface of things, was for the census that was being conducted, for which Joseph had to present himself at the hometown of the family, so to speak, which was Bethlehem. Um, uh, Joseph then went with Mary straight to Bethlehem, on whose outskirts the houses stood scattered, and into the heart of the city. At the different streets they met, he left Mary and the ass standing while he went up and down in search of an inn. Mary often had to wait long before Joseph, anxious and troubled, returned. Nowhere did he find room, everywhere was he sent away, and now it began to grow dark. Joseph at last proposed going to the other side of the city where they would surely find lodgings. They went down a street. Um, here stood a very beautiful tree with a smooth trunk its branches spreading out like a roof. Joseph led Mary and the beast under it, and there left them to go again in quest of an inn. He went from house to house, his friends, of whom he had spoken to Mary, unwilling to recognize him. Once during his quest he returned to Mary, who was waiting under the tree. He wept, and she consoled him. He started afresh on his search. 
but whenever he brought forward the approaching delivery of his wife as a pressing reason for receiving hospitality, he was dismissed even more quickly. Meanwhile it had grown dark. Mary was standing under the tree, her robe falling around her in full folds, her head covered with a white veil. Crowds were hurrying to and fro from Bethlehem, and many of the passers-by gazed curiously at Mary, as one naturally does on seeing a person standing a long time in the dark. Ah, they little dreamed that the Savior was so near. Mary was so patient, so tranquil, so full of hope. Ah, she had indeed longed to wait. At last she sat down, her hands crossed on her breast, her head lowered. After a long time, Joseph returned in great dejection. I saw that he was shedding tears, and because he had failed again to find an inn, he hesitated to approach. But suddenly he thought of a cave outside Bethlehem used as a storing place by the shepherds when they brought their cattle to the city. Joseph had often withdrawn there to conceal himself from his brothers and to pray. It was very likely to be deserted at that season, or if any shepherds did come, it would be easy to make friends with him. With them, He and Mary might go there and find shelter for a while, and then after a little rest he would go out again on his search. They got to the cave on one side of the cave was built up one side of the cave was built up with rough masonry through which the open entrance of the shepherds led down into the valley. Joseph opened the light wicker door and they entered. Um, when the she ass that they had brought along entered the cave and frolicked around and ge leaped gaily about them Mary said, Behold, it is surely God's will that we should be here. But Joseph was worried and in secret a little ashamed because he had so often alluded to the good reception they would meet in Bethlehem. It was quite dark, about eight o'clock, when they had reached the cave. Joseph struck a light and went inside. He cleared it out and prepared as much space in the back part as would afford room for a couch and a seat for Mary, who had seated herself on a rug with her bundle for support. Joseph fastened a lamp on the wall. Then he went into the city where he procured some little dishes and I think some fruit. When Joseph returned he brought with him a small bundle of sticks and a box with a handle in which were glowing coals. These he poured out at the entrance of the cave to make a fire. He next brought the water bottle which he had filled at the rivulet and prepared some food. After they had eaten, and Mary had lain down to rest upon her couch which was spread on which was spread a cover, Joseph began to prepare his own resting place at the entrance to the cave. When this was done, he went again into the city. Then for the first time I saw the Blessed Virgin on her knees in prayer, after which she lay down upon a carpet on her side, her head resting on her arm, her bundle serving for a pillow. Uh, I saw Joseph on the following day arranging a seat and a couch for Mary in the cave. Mary remained there some hours while Joseph was making the cave more habitable. He also brought from the city some dried fruits. Mary told him that the birth hour of the child would arrive on the coming night. It was then nine months since her conception by the Holy Ghost. She begged him to do all in his power that they might receive as honorably as possible this child promised by God, this child supernaturally conceived, and she invited him to unite with her in prayer. 
It was about five o'clock in the evening when Joseph brought Mary back again to the crib cave. He hung up several more lamps and made a place under the shed before the door for the little she-ass, which came joyfully hurrying from the fields to meet them. When Mary told Joseph that her time was drawing near and that he should now take himself to prayer, he left her and turned towards his own sleeping place to do her bidding. Before entering his little recess, he looked back once toward that part of the cave where Mary knelt upon her couch in prayer, her back to him, her face toward the east. He saw the cave filled with the light that streamed from Mary, for she was entirely enveloped as though by flames. It was as if he were like Moses looking into the burning bush. He sank prostrate to the ground in prayer and did not look back again. The glory around Mary became brighter and brighter. The lamps that Joseph had lit were no longer to be seen. Mary knelt, her flowing white robe spread out before her. At the twelfth hour her prayer became ecstatic, and I saw her raised so far above the ground that one could see the ground beneath her. Her hands were crossed upon her breast, and the, roof, and the light around her grew even more resplendent. I no longer saw the roof of the cave. Above Mary stretched a pathway of light up to heaven, in which pathway it seemed as if one light came forth from another, as if one figure dissolved into another, and from these different spheres of light other heavenly figures issued. Mary continued in prayer, her eyes bent low upon the ground. At that moment she gave birth to the infant Jesus. I saw him, like a little shining child, lying on the rug at her knees, and brighter far than all the other brilliancy. He seemed to grow before my eyes, but dazzled by the glittering and the flashing of light, I do not know whether I really saw that or how I saw it. Even inanimate nature seemed stirred. The stones of the rocky floor and the walls of the cave were glimmering and sparkling, as if instinct with life. Mary's ecstasy lasted some moments longer. Then I saw her spread a cover over the child, but she did not yet take it up nor even touch it. After a long time I saw the child stirring and heard it crying, and then only did Mary seem to recover full consciousness. She lifted the child, along with the cover that she had thrown over it, to her breast, and sat veiled, herself and the child quite enveloped. I think she was suckling it. I saw angels around her in human form, prostrate on their faces. It may perhaps have been an hour after the birth when Mary called St. Joseph, who still lay prostrate in prayer. When he approached, he fell on his knees, his face to the ground, in a transport of joy, devotion, and humility. Mary again urged him to look upon the sacred gift from heaven, and then did Joseph take the child into his arms. And now the Blessed Virgin swathed the child in red, and over that in a white veil, up as far as under the little arms, and the upper part of the body from the armpits to the head, she wrapped up in another piece of linen. She laid the child in the crib, which had been filled with rushes and fine moss, over which was spread a cover that hung down at the sides. The crib stood over the stone trough, and at this spot the ground stretched straight and level as far as the passage. The floor of this part of the cave lay somewhat deeper than where the child was born, and down to it steps had been formed in the earth. When Mary laid the child in the crib, both she and Joseph stood by it in tears, singing the praises of God. So there ends my reading of a rather truncated account 
of uh, Joseph and Mary's trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and they're finding the uh, cave as a refuge when they arrived in Bethlehem, and the birth of the Christ child on the first Christmas night. I hope it served as some kind of an introduction to this beautiful period leading up to the birth of God as man, Christmas, the fulfillment of all of the promise of Judaism in the coming of the second person of the Most Holy Trinity as a man, in fact, as a helpless infant baby in the virginal room, uh, excuse me, virginal womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So with that, so ends this Advent show. I hope you've enjoyed it. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with me, your host, Roy Showman. And um, I wish you once again a very, very joyful Advent and coming on to Christmas. And I hope you join us again next week, same time, same place, for Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. This is Roy Showman saying bye for now.